if we can at least just get back to that tribe mentality. Um, like with my sister, right? Having having Isaac, I I loved being there. I loved being that. I, like as a brother, I could like go live in the house with him for three weeks and cook for my nieces and you know and my sister, my brother-in-law. Um, for me, that was tribal, right? Like that is, and again, not saying like, oh, look at, like, look what I did. I'm just saying if if everybody could do some of that. But how often do we get into our world, and you know, we're living in our high rises, or, or, and we have, we're so individually focused that we forget to love those around us. Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health podcast with your host Ryan Lampers, aka the Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. Today's podcast is brought to you again by the Western Hunting Summit 2022. Mule Deer Summit, speakers we've got. The great Mark Livesey, e-scouting extraordinaire. We've got Brian Barney showing up again. We have Brady Miller, uh, who is a master when it comes to all things mule deer. Another guy I'm excited about is Tony Treach. Um, just an incredible hunter all around. Most folks obviously would know who Robbie Denning is. He uh, has written a couple books on mule deer. Great guy, great educator, always fun to listen to. Travis Nowatney is going to be back with us this year. Absolute stud bow hunter. Uh, we got Brian Call, who's uh, making a presence for the first <laughs> time this year. It's going to be great to have Brian there at the events. Joel Turner, again, with the shooting. Uh, Dave Baronio, he's another favorite of ours Ooh. that we've got showing up. And then uh, we've got Corey Tinglestad again with the Backcountry Medical. So, Pretty hard-hitting list. Oh, and don't forget Doc Hill <laughs> and uh, yours truly. I guess we're going to be there. Oh, and we have an amazing entertainment guest from Yale Dare, Kent Bryant, Nashville music star, is going to be there. So that's exciting for us. Yeah, for and for all you listeners of uh, this podcast, go plug in the code HHH and save yourself a hundred bucks at checkout. All right, WesternHuntingSummit.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. So glad you're here. As always, I really appreciate it. It makes my day that other folks want to listen to and be a part of this podcast. Today, we are going to have a special guest who we had on back in the fall, David Pham. He is a young man that we have become very good friends with since the Western Hunting Summit 2021 of last summer. And we did a podcast with him where he talks about his history as a Vietnam refugee. He's he's a firstborn American, but his mother was a Vietnam refugee after the Vietnam War. And we talk about the uh, refugee crisis that was happening in Afghanistan at that time. It was at the very end of August that we recorded the podcast. So that's what was going on in the world then. And flash forward now about seven months or so, and we are now in the thick of a war between Russia and the Ukraine. And now there is another humanitarian crisis with refugees flooding out of Ukraine. A little bit of a different story, though, that Ukraine is requiring all their men to stay behind to fight uh, 
and the women and children are fleeing. Um, Afghanistan was a little bit of a different situation where the Taliban was going in and taking and or killing people that had, especially men and or their families, that had been working with the Allied forces and especially Americans. And so this last podcast we had done was about how David worked to get three families. Two of them were uh, comrades that he had been with in the military there, and then another one was his translator. And their children, wives, and one family was um, the grandmother was able to get out as well. So they all made it to the States. And because of you, a lot of you donated money to this fund. When we did that podcast, we were able to raise a pretty large amount of money, close to $40,000. And it radically has changed a number of people's lives. And most most of those people that have changed are children. Um, there was around 10 children, I believe, that were affected by your donations and by this community helping and a majority of them are girls as well. And you can only imagine what their life would have been like if they had to stay behind, like millions of other girls have had to. And it's heartbreaking. Um, just It just rips me up inside to think that uh, there's millions of women and children that are having to live under the Taliban and uh, especially when you have daughters, really hits home for you big time. So David is doing an update in this podcast. He's going to give us an update on the families, which I think will be very encouraging for all of you to hear. He's also going to just give us a little bit of backstory on what he sees going on with Ukraine and uh, Russia and some of the things he thinks are important to focus on when it comes to situations like this, especially war. And he was a Marine, so he has a lot more uh, knowledge in these areas, of course, than I do, which is why I love to have him on. He's also a stellar person, and I kind of consider him a little brother. He's just, he's a phenomenal human being. And so we want to say thank you. That's what this podcast is about. We also just want to give you updates. Uh, he's also starting a non-for-profit, I guess, so that'll be great. And you can hear and hear what he's planning to do with that nonprofit in the future. And then if you also feel still inclined to donate for these Afghan families or other refugees that we may be assisting, you can go to the show notes for this and it's a givebutter.com campaign. It's still up and you can still donate if you'd like. And that all goes through a um, non-for-profit organization that actually it was a church here in Bozeman at the time David started this. He didn't have a non-for-profit and he didn't know what to do. And we were like, oh my gosh, you're gonna have to pay taxes and all this stuff. And so another community here in Bozeman in my area um, stood up and helped him deal with that and get the money and uh, allocate funds and do all that. So a lot of people working on this to make this happen. And I just feel super proud to be part of it. I feel humbled that so many of you out there shared um, what you what you do have. And uh, we appreciate that. All right. Check this podcast out again, David Pham from Family Fund. I wanted to have you on here because back in, oh geez, when was that? September or August? Uh, September, uh, September, I think. Yeah, we recorded a podcast um, 
Hold on, let me see what podcast it was. I haven't done a whole lot of podcasts since then, so it's kind of hard for me I, to find. I've um, been keeping up. Have you? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Good. I'm glad um, you have been. I feel like I've fallen behind, but that's kind of been my feeling for years now. Um, so August, the end of August, we did a podcast about oh, yeah. um, the Afghanistan crisis that was going on at that time. It was very a very acute thing at that time, at least in the media and everything that was going on. Yeah. And if nobody has listened, if you have not listened to that podcast yet and you're listening to this podcast, you may benefit by going back and listening to that podcast that was number 140 mm-hmm. and we talked about your your family history your yeah. refugee family history and then we talked about the afghan refugee crisis right now and some of your comrades that you were working to get out of afghanistan with a number of other people their entire families and how that happened and then um, we, you had a small page where you, it was like a crowdfunding, uh, yeah. page that you set up yeah. for your, um, your friends or these Afghan families. And you were just trying to save a little bit of money for them. Yeah. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to do a podcast and just let our folks know here at Hunt Harvest Health how they, they might be able to help. Yeah. And just give information because this is the reason I want to talk to people like you is because, I mean, I have never been to Afghanistan. First, I'm not in the military. I don't have anybody in my life that's in the military. So yeah. when it comes to any type of thing like this, especially overseas, I think the media sugarcoats stuff. They don't tell us what's going on. Our media is yeah. really biased. And I feel like as a civilian here in the States, I know nothing. I feel like I really know nothing, especially anymore with the way the media is. It's like, how do you even know what they're telling you is true? Yeah. So I like to talk to people that have actually experienced it. And my whole goal with having you on was to myself, me and Ryan, to learn more about what was going on right there at that moment, what it meant with this quick withdrawal from Afghanistan and, um, and then it sort of turned into like we, you had these very emotional ties to these men that had mm. helped save your life in the past and et cetera. And, and our audience, we just said, hey, you know, whatever you can do to help these families. Yeah. And we, we raised like a lot of money. Yeah. Which, I mean, I would consider a lot of money. Uh, huge, um, huge. Pretty quickly. Yeah. And. So I wanted to have you back on because I, I wanted you to give us an update about the families, about what's going on, um, you know, not sugarcoating things, like, mm-hmm. like letting us understand. And I, I also think there's been a lot of, again, back to the media, yeah. about what uh, civilians are, you know, um, being told as far as the refugee crisis, um, what's been going on since that. And then now you just don't even hear about Afghanistan. It's like just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. And, Two, three stories back, yep. Yeah, and then, of course, we have the new um, Ukrainian. war in Ukraine, yeah. which, uh, you know, again, I know nothing about these things, and half the time I don't even know if what I'm watching is real or yeah. what's going on. So I follow a few people, like, 
military reporters, like war reporters online, yeah. and that's who I follow because they're in the thick of it. And everything else, I'm like, I don't know if this is real. Is this <laughs> like fake media. Like, it's yeah. so confusing. What a wor- strange world we live in. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to have you back on because I felt Thank like, you. especially all the people who donated. Oh my gosh. And help these families. You know, I think it's great to give them an update. So go oh, for it, David. I know. <laughs> thank you so much, Shelly. Um, first and <laughs> foremost, I need to thank you and Ryan and, you know, this platform you've been blessed with. And then on top of that, all the donors. Uh, I think our goal was like something very modest. It was like $10,000. Right? I think you were like $5,000 <laughs> yeah. or something. And it I was, was $5,000. Like, yeah, maybe it was $5,000. $5, yes, it was. $5,000 is not yeah. very much money. We got to like pump this up. I know. And then like, so you gave me that motivation. And then one of my other mentors was like, Dave, I got some people who want to help. Boom. Let's make it like $50,000. i am like, whoa, whoa. Like, it's, it's getting, it's getting a bit yeah. much. But to be honest, you know, you, you can't put limits on, um, you know, the, you know, God, but also like the, you can't put limits on what people's hearts are able to do. And, uh, you know, I bumped it up to 33,000 and within, I think a month we raised $39,000. Um, and, uh, the money's still trickling in and, and it's, it's actually incredible. Um, and I've been meaning to send out an update and a thanks, but, um, I applied for with all this money, I applied for a nonprofit, um, 501 Charlie three myself. So, uh, to be honest, I'm waiting for the IRS to you know go through all that, and COVID's kind of pushed them back. So it, this month, um, Family Fund Incorporated, um, nonprofit 501 Charlie Three should be st- stood up, and the initial goal is going to be to help these Afghans um, with all this money, and then eventually I'm going to turn that into a scholarship fund for inner city kids and inner city youth, and. Um, Wow, cool. Yeah, because when I grew up, I mean that I was I came from that. I came from Section Eight and food stamps and and living off government subsidies, and my mom worked hard enough to get out. And uh, you know, I, I could imagine the help that a single mom or a single parent could appreciate from a thousand dollar scholarship for not a college kid, like a high school kid. Like here's a thousand bucks for your high school kid or something, right? Like what can that do for a family? Um, right. And yeah, and if you know Family Fund Incorporated uh, could do that, then then it'll be great. Uh, yeah. Well, I have to say, ever since we did the podcast, and we just had this like overwhelming support of people just yeah. donating five dollars, ten dollars. I mean, yes. some people donated donated way more than that, and it was. Yes. I mean, it still even kind of brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. Um, yeah. It's like. It just goes to show you the power of, you know, people caring. Heart, and yeah. unfortunately, I think what we've seen with the media is this uh, whole thing about, you know, you said in the first podcast, you said, listen, I know how people feel about refugees and like immigrants yeah. and like this whole thing that we have going on in our culture right now about being a afraid of other people and you know spending money on this and why don't we take care of the people that we have you know kind of what you just addressed and um i totally get that but when you see how it gets spun so you said there's going to be things that aren't positive there's going to be things that happen um in these refugee camps and kind of all these threats that they tell us things are going to happen i mean these 
things are going to happen probably. And there's no way that we can get around it. But the majority of these people are just like you and me, and they're just trying to save their families and have a job. And, um, that really resonated with me because, you know, as we were going through this process of texting back and forth and sharing as the money was coming in and we were trying to figure out what to do with the money because you didn't have a nonprofit, and yeah, I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. You had a lot of like people mentoring you, like, oh gosh, you can't just take all this money. Like, I was like, David, what are you going to do? Because <laughs> you take yeah. all this money, you're going to have to pay taxes on this, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you had people step up and nonprofits step up and take the money so that we didn't have to worry about that. You had people mentoring you with that, but, yeah. um, you know, as we were going through this process, you text me and be like, you know how I told you something bad was going to happen, like. Ah, that yeah. happened and yeah. unfortunately that's what the media and that's what these things they just take like a couple incidences and they turn it into yeah. a ginormous thing and they forgive it about the tens of thousands of people yeah. that um would you know give anything yeah. to end up here and to have the chance so i really want to stay with positive about it and I, oh, yeah. I i think the most important thing about this is when people think about help others is to just always put yourself in that position like Mm -hmm. I am in a I'm in a position of privilege there's no doubt about it and in in you're in a position of privilege you know like you you live in a high-rise in DC like how expensive is that and like I live on five acres in beautiful Bozeman Montana (laughs) which (laughs) is luck affording anything and yeah Bozeman, Montana anymore. So I have an education. I have a good job. Um, My children are healthy. They have health care. They don't want for anything. And Uh, so I am, I am in a, I am totally privileged and I'll be the first to to say that. But I think that we have to always put ourselves in the position. Like if this were to happen to us and our family and we had to flee and we needed help, you know, what would we want people to do and what would we want people to, to be able to give? And, and that's the most yeah. important thing. Yeah. And you know, a lot to un- unpackage there, right? Like, and, but yeah. we, you know, we didn't come from this. We didn't come from where we're at now. I mean, I think True. both of us could speak on that. I mean, you can, I know your history and where you came from and you worked your butt off you and Ryan. And, um, and even now you're still working to help more people. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I still and, work my butt off. I don't yeah. get this for free. <laughs> and and I, I think, you know, our hearts is to serve people. It doesn't matter, you know, what we're blessed with, like where we live in and all that. But, you know, the, I think the preponderance of what we take in, we try to give out, right? We serve and we serve. And, um, and you actually brought a great point and you reminded me um, just to reinforce the empathy. Um, and you know what? I think time has proved itself. Um, I, I did mention, yeah, there's going to be crime or there's going to be one or two bad apples coming in. And yeah, they came in. I think, I think literally maybe a handful, maybe less than, you know, less than 10, less than 20 um, situations where, you know, somebody was assaulted or somebody got hurt. But there's 100,000 Afghan refugees. And you're saying the percentage of bad things that happened were 20 out of 100,000. Um, even though I'm not, I'm not justifying those bad 20 cases, like those need to be dealt with, but just look at the, the statistics of America, like walking down the streets in a major city, you're going to get the probably of you getting uh, mugged or hurt is a lot higher than what was brought in. And yep. the other thing, you know, to go into these family stories, they're already benefiting the community. I, I can't, I, I'm so excited just to update you. Um, and we'll start with our, you know, 
yeah, let's let's yeah. talk about yeah. So my uh, my my interpreter Harun, um, and and I knew us helping these guys would be a great foundation for them to help others, and it's already happened. So um, my three guys speak English very well, right? And, and they understand. They were officers. Uh, well, two of them were officers in the special forces in the Af- Afghanistan, and one of them was an interpreter working with Americans for years. So they understood somewhat of the American system. So so they weren't coming in blind. I would say. 90% of the Afghans coming in that weren't interpreters or anybody else who worked with them are coming in blind. Um, and they had they have no idea how the system works. Um, they barely speak any English. And guess what? Our guys that we helped stepped up and they became the mentors for all these families. And I started losing track. Initially, they're like, hey, we're helping this family. Like, okay, cool. You know, here's a couple hundred dollars that could help. And then the numbers were just astronomical. It's like, okay, we can't help everybody. I'm gonna keep helping you. So, Harun, let's update him. So his his um, two kids um, are with him and his wife in Houston. Um, this, uh, you know, and there's a sad part to this too, right? So our government can only do what it's capable of. So when they first got to Houston, um, they put him into apartment complex, basically the projects. Right. Um, and what was so amazing. Um, when I visited them, so I drove. I drove from where was I? I was a, I was in Kentucky at that time. Now I'm in DC, but I drove from Kentucky to Virginia. I uh, set up a little headquarters here to raise money and and supplies. Drove up to New Jersey to visit them on the refugee camp to bring them all the, you know, so thankful for all the luggages, you know, the the gift cards that they could use in the little store. Um, and what was so amazing was there's so many organizations donating things that the luggages were so useful. There were empty luggages. We got them empty roll on bags, but um, they were so thankful for those because they could just put all their belongings. I mean, it became their homes a, for these kids and these moms, a carry on roll on was their home and that's all they had. And you know, what, what your listeners and, you know, our friend, our, our family that donated, um, you gave them a small piece of home temporary home right um sorry it's <laughs> i know this is like a cry so I know. I'm it's like, like, not to cry because <laughs> there's so much that goes into it right um yeah. so i i actually was on and off this refugee camp in fort dix for about two weeks um and you know just to help them to be honest like try to get them to the front of the line because I, I was like hey like these guys are mm-hmm. special do we need to get them off the camp and they still ended up staying um for about three months. So Lal stayed for about three months. Hamid, his mother got sick, which I'll go into later, was actually on there for seven months, living on a refugee camp. And to describe this uh, refugee camp, they are, and I guess that's where I should have started. Um, So there's this giant tent with a thousand of your closest friends. Um, And there's a bunch of these big tents around. There's about 10,000 refugees in Fort Dix, New Jersey. And each of these thousand person tents, there's bunk beds. So just imagine walking in and there's just like lines of lines of bunk beds. And that's all you had. It was fluorescent lighting or halogen lighting shining down and these these tents or, or these these um, bunk beds. So being resourceful, the uh, refugees, the Afghans would move the bunk beds. So it formed a little box. So now you have four bunk beds formed a box 
and they put a sheet around so you have some privacy. So now it looks like a little tent city. And that was where your family stayed. So imagine if you, wow. you know, had, had, you know, had your kiddos, the girls there and Ryan, and you're all living in these four bunk beds and, um, you know, shared bathrooms, uh, shared, everything else was shared. Um, and you just, that's all you had. So it was, it was tough for a while. And eventually with more money, they built more infrastructures. They actually put up hard walls, but that was maybe three or four months into that. Um, so we're talking December now before they had that. And then the snow started coming because it's New Jersey. So, yeah. And some of these Afghans, yeah, they lived in the mountains and where it's snowy, but others lived down where it was like Arizona. Um, where the climate was warmer. So, you know, we had to get them jackets and it was just every little thing. There was just like a, a big, a big hurdle to jump for the simplest things that we take for granted. Right. So, yeah. So eventually, um, you know, one of the families, Law, which is called, you know, Law's family, Law's family was able to come off and they got him to Fort Worth. Um, and at this time already, Haroon, came over earlier he didn't have to go through the refugee camp because he was a special visa or a special immigrant visa so he went straight to houston and then i'll kind of hit at hamid's family um so hamid his mother um was i think just in her 70s she wasn't really that old but afghanistan wears on you um oh you sent me a picture of the whole family and she was literally <laughs> yeah this tiny tiny, tiny. little woman yeah. and you know she had her like Hajibon and like her dress. Yeah. You would think she was a child if you didn't see her face. Yeah. She was you like, you could four, tell eight. she was an older woman. Yeah. But it was like, oh my gosh, she's it's so cute. tiny. And she made it. She made it right. Wow. And I'm sorry for this next part of the story, sis, because it gets, gets tough. Um, yeah. So in late November, she gets pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we start fighting this. And luckily, the healthcare. You know, we get to the hospital, but it's COVID, it's this, it's that. So he couldn't see his mom for like a week and a half. Um, so imagine, like, she doesn't speak English. She's in this strange American hospital, which the amenities in Afghanistan aren't anything like this. There's like these women who are trying to be, and men that are trying to be helpful and resourceful to nurses and doctors. But it, I mean, you just don't know what's going on. You're just like, I know I'm hurting. I feel sick, but I don't know what's happening. Um, and then I get a call in December and he's like, Hey man, you know, mom's gone. So, so she makes it all the way to America and, and escapes Afghanistan and tyranny. She, she survived the Russians back in the eighties. She survived the Taliban and then, um, she passes away of, uh, pneumonia here in the states um that that was tough right and uh but you know there she had peace and you know that's why i try to keep telling myself and telling me it's like dude she she sees that you're free she sees that the grandkids were happy and you know because he he got some criticism from his family at home he was just like we told you not to take mom over there and she should have stayed here and you know what she she got the best care she could have had and she saw a glimmer of hope for her family and and I know, like, growing up, that was what my grandparents were. And none of my grandparents are living now, but that's what they saw when they sent my mom away, right? Like, right. we're going to put your daughter on a boat 
and you're not going to hear from her in three years. But whenever that first letter came back to Vietnam, there was a glimmer of hope. And so much joy came from that. So I knew what his mom felt. So a little bit tougher. So he actually was delayed because of that. And um, and then he got off um, in December, which crazy story about that. And you talk about the universe working in weird ways. So I was actually going up to Boston because my sister was having a baby so I could take care of the other, help take care of the other kids while she's having the baby and, and everything. And healthy baby Isaac came out in December. Uh-huh. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. But as I was driving up, I was like, oh, let me, I'll just stop in New Jersey and just like take a detour and just go visit the guys, right? So I know Hamid was there. So I visited the family. Everything was good. And Hamid was like, hey, so as soon as you called me to stop, the mayor of the camp, so the, the army or the Air Force calls it the mayor who handles all the paperwork. Um, as soon as you called me and told me you were going to stop, the mayor called me and says, I'm leaving the camp tomorrow. And I was like, what? So like just by sheer universal, like something, like something told me to stop. I stopped at the camp and then the next day he would have been gone. So if I delayed that trip, I I wouldn't have seen him um, before he went down to Jacksonville. So a lot of crazy miracles happened during this time. All right. So let's get to some of the good stuff. So during this time, so... Haroon gets to or is in Houston. Um, he's living in the projects, but he's making the best of it. And he starts helping people. Like he starts translating. He's like going to all the refugee things. And he's like, he is he is immersing himself within our own governmental organizations as a translator. And and on top of doing his own paperwork, he's helping the other Afghans understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just so incredible. And couldn't get the kids in school. So the kids go like three or four weeks just at home with the mom, Can, like no school. And at this point, I'm, I'm hearing all this. I'm a little bit frustrated with that. So I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm definitely having, I have to go to Texas. I have to be face-to-face and make sure things on the ground are going right. So, so why couldn't they get in school? What was going on there? So American academic or educational like bureaucracy. So I don't know how difficult it is for you to get Paley like register for school. But like, it's pretty easy. Yeah. So, so for them, it's just the same paperwork, but one, the paperwork is difficult to fill out. So trying to understand that, but the school systems are so packed in Houston where they're, they're all at these mm-hmm. limits. So now you just got this big dump of thousands of refugees and they're just trying to get them started in school. And gotcha. until the governor and the mayor and the superintendent and everything increased the numbers of class sizes, they, they couldn't join. So it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game, right? So a lot of it, I mean, it was a lot of stress on our own organizations. So, so at this point I was like, okay, I have to go to Houston um, and and see what's on, what's going on. Also during this time through a great mentor, you know, and we'll just call him Kevin, but we'll leave his name out of this because he's super humble, really high exec guy, father of an incredible friend of mine. And uh, he was like, you know, we'll get him a car donated. And I was like, what? Like, so, so especially with used car prices now, it's, it's, it was unbelievable. So these great donors got a van, a minivan donated. Oh, wow. Yeah. And at this time, I'm still trying to figure out who gets the car, right? Like, it's, I got three families. I'm like, who needs it the most? And just trying to triage the situation. So the, uh, the car was in Houston. So I was like, all right, perfect. Everything works out. I'm going to go down to Houston. So I get down to Houston and like, just this great reunion. I hadn't seen him. 
or Haroon in 10 years. And uh, I put up, I put up my little phone as like the secret camera. So there's a video that I'm going to keep private to myself, but it was, uh, it was filming me like, like Haroon just being shocked that I'm there and, and big hug and just a, an amazing reunion. Um, and the, all the kids call me Kakata Wood, which is uncle David in, in, uh, and it's just so sweet when they run around and do that. So I get there and I'm like, okay, what do you need? Like I brought all the supplies, brought everything else. And, uh, we started talking and then he kind of has like, man, I got the car donated. Like if you need that, he's like, actually he smiled at me and it was like the, the tribe came together and they, they donated, they gave me a car. And I'm like, what? Like who gave you a car? So the way Afghan society works and, you know, and this is something that we could learn from as Americans, right? Um, they're very tribal. And they, and when I say that they treat everybody in the tribe, like their family. And, they will do anything for them. So as soon as these families would come, even if you didn't have much, you would give something. Mm. So one of the things they give, and they don't, they don't use loans. It was like, it's against, part of it's against the religion. I think folks who've lived here for a while um, kind of got westernized and like now use mortgages and things, but they buy everything with cash. And the way they do that is mm. they take the tribe and they, everybody gives a little bit. And then now they have something to give to another person, another family. So, right. And I say that, and like, let's just reflect on American culture and society. Would we do that for our neighbors? You know, I think a lot of the, our listeners would, I think, I think our listeners would, right. Because we, you know, good people you know, try to try to, you know, we, we you know, listen to you and definitely want to listen to you, but let's pick a random stranger you've never met. And even some of the kindest hearts, but would would you give a stranger a thousand dollars, a hundred dollars, you know? Um, and you would yeah. hope the answer is yes. We're not really raised. Yeah, yeah, we're not really raised that way. We're definitely not raised tribal anymore. We're, yeah. we're raised to be. I think. I mean, having been part of my life exposed to kind of tribal community is like we're kind of raised to be independent and to yeah. be self sufficient and. That yeah. means, in a lot of ways, walking away from the tribe. And I think in a lot of cases, you know, so many families in the United States are so separated and so far apart and don't have yeah. the support of each other because just the yeah. distance in which they live and the job they have and where they're at. So yeah. you, you can kind of feel alone. And even in that case, like, you know, I was thinking about this, which is funny because yeah. I was... um just thinking about like even the people in my life that need stuff, you know, and like yeah. family members that are struggling and, um, and needing money and going through divorce and just the yeah. expense of life today in the United States. I think that's a huge stress is that, you know, I can't imagine coming here with nothing because yeah. it's so expensive to live here. But also when you get to a certain lifestyle, it's like, it's expensive and you have to keep that up. And a lot of people, this whole thing of debt, like yeah. people get in debt and then they're indebted yeah. to the debtor to their, to they're indebted to that. And they have to keep working to keep it going. So it's, there's a lot of very poor people that have a lot yeah. of things and they're just yeah. working to pay the debt. And, <laughs> and then I thought about like how much money we raised for these families that nobody even knew who they were yeah. just based on, an emotional like desire to help somebody else out. And yeah. I thought, you know, what, 
I thought about myself and I was like, gosh, have I even done that for like my own family members? You know, have I even considered like donating a thousand dollars to my own family members in need? And I think sometimes it's actually easier the way I, the way maybe we've been grew up it's almost it's, easier to give yeah. to people you don't know <laughs> no, because yeah. you don't have responsibility to them like uh, yeah if i give you a thousand dollars and you're my brother we were kind of raised there's this expectation that okay well you i gave you a thousand dollars now you need to give me something or yeah. you need to pay me back or and there's yeah. maybe this guilt complex that we have you know? pro quo yeah and it's like it's just... if you are just freely giving and whether it's your time or your money your resources whatever yeah. and you didn't have the expectation of return yeah. and you just looked at it as you're paying it forward and hopefully yeah. they will go into their life and pay it forward um yeah. But I think we've really been taught to be so individualistic and to, yeah. to depend on ourselves and not to depend on other people. And when you hear yeah. these stories, I think that it's the natural, instinctual human feeling to feel like you need to be part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And that's probably why religion and, and yeah. you know, orga- organized um, situations where people yeah. can come together and feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. And um, these tribal communities, I've noticed that even, you know, they may have a lot of strife, a yeah. lot of dysfunction, oh. a yes. lot of issues yes. that are not being managed well, yeah. but they do have a sense of community that yeah. keeps them somewhat intact to that. Yeah. And, you know, so already like the, Af- the Afghans are showing us, the goodness, right? They're showing us. Right. I mean, they're really, they should be a lesson. I'm glad, you know, thank you for giving me the platform to tell that story. But, and, and I'm not saying there's not kind hearted people in America. God, there's, there's so many, there's millions, well, millions we know of kind hearted people. That just yeah. based <laughs> on what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's what I said. It's like people want yeah. to give. That's, that's yeah. human nature. People want to give and help. Sometimes yeah. they and, just don't know how to. And unfortunately, if you have money, like money is yeah. just, I just tell, People, money is an exchange of energy. It's a tool. It's I a have tool. energy. I made it as money. I'm yeah. going to give it to you to help you. So ah, you that's so good. Pass it forward, right? Oh, that's great. But yeah. it's a tool. And, and, you know, to your point, yeah, maybe like using this as a lesson to reflect back on your own lives. Because, you know, yeah, with your family, there is baggage, right? Like there's like, oh, that person hurt me in the past. Or like, you know, that person's just going to, like, I know them. They're going to spend this money on drugs, right? Like, we still got to be smart with it, but it's still um, like energy and a tool that we could help others. And if we can at least just get back to that tribe mentality, um, like with my sister, right? Having, having Isaac, I, I loved being there. I love being that I, like as a brother, I could like go live in the house with him for three weeks and cook for my nieces and, you know, and my sister, my brother-in-law. Um, for me, that was tribal, right? Like that is, and Again, not saying like, oh, look at, like, look what I did. I'm just saying if if everybody could do some of that. But how often do we get into our world, and you know, we're living in our high rises, or, or, and we have, we're so individually focused that we forget to love those around us. Um, right. So I mean, I, I think I think that's all we were saying. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. But uh, so he gets his car. Like he has a car donated by the tribe from men and women he's never met. But they just they have this car sitting there. Um, and so he's continuing to help people. His wife, he's like encouraged, like, learn English, like please. Like uh, so she's she's trying to, it's just 
you know, here's what's difficult. These women grew up in a very strange generation, right? We we co- would call them a millennial, like to be honest, like where, when they were born. Right. But their issue was, so our millennials um, and, you know, late gen actors grew up in the 90s where they're able to go to school and learn and be educated, or uh, women in particular. In 1996, the Taliban took over. And, and previous to that, the Russians were there. So put yourself in that timeline. These women did not get educated. And, and, and not for the lack of them trying, but because of the Afghan situation in, in the 90s and early 2000s before the U.S. came in there and tried to reform it, um, these women had no education. And, and period. So no opportunities. And then when the when the U.S. did go into Afghanistan, we started rebuilding and we started building schools and universities again. It took like another ten years. It took about till about twenty twenty before um, schools were back up and girls, uh, you know, and women could get back into universities. Uh, that was too late for this generation of refugee women who just came over. So a lot of them can't read. They can't read their own language which is wow. crazy. It's like, and they're learning, um, trying to learn English, which is the hardest language to learn. Yeah. In the they're world. trying to learn English. Right. <laughs> and it's so, yeah. it's just like all this. So like, give me, you know, give me some empathy. Um, but you know, what's amazing. I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about the women in particular now because it's so, it's such a unique population. They're hustlers. Right. So, right. Like, you know, this, like women are amazing. I love women in the sense of I'm a feminist in that sense. Cause I grew up with a single mom. My sister's amazing. Um, all the women in my life that are strong, that are, are incredible. And these women are cut from the same cloth. Um, they, they know how to raise a family. And that is a full-time job times three. Um, and I'm not saying, oh, she's going to be Susie Homemaker. I'm talking like when she goes out and talks to the neighbors, when she goes to the stores, when, when she's trying to figure out ways to make her energy into, you know, financial energy right she's trying to transform that they have the hustle they have such a survivalistic resourceful mentality that they would do anything anything for their families to survive Mm. Um, the example of them coming here i mean we talk about the men coordinating with their counterparts in the military the women are the ones who had to pick up everything and and you know take the families with the with these soldiers who escaped and, and interpreters who escaped. So the strength of this woman, these women, I'm not concerned about. We just need to give them the opportunities. Um, and I, you know, I don't know what that looks like. I, I don't know if that's um, postured Dari speaking classes. Um, I don't know if that's like small groups that allow these women just to learn American society, like how to shop at a Walmart or like you know, how to use a self-checkout. <laughs> just right. just things where you're just like, what? Like, it's just, um, or teaching them how to drive. I think teaching them how to drive would be a big, big um, milestone if uh, an organization, a nonprofit or something could jump in and help these refugees learn how to do that. Because um, I knew how independent yeah, my just- mom was. Yeah. You just don't think about these things, you know, growing up yeah. in America, it's like everybody gets to learn how to drive. Everybody learns how to do these things. And then yeah. you realize in some of these cultures, no, like women don't drive. They don't go to school. They're not reading, you know, yeah. they're, um, yeah, so much that we take for granted that yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for people to help if they were so drawn to do that. 
Yeah. Uh, incredible, right? So I'm, I'm not concerned of where they can go. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want Americans to give them the opportunities and and open those doors for them, right? Like just just that's how we got here. That's how, you know, you have the blessings you have and I have the blessings I have because there's good Americans who open the doors. So, uh, but these women are strong. They're going to learn English. They're going to get accustomed to American ways, and and they're going to they're going to give back to the community and the tribe. And I would say, if anything, we could learn from raising a family. And and when we talk about it takes a village, we, we need to bring that saying back, right? We need to take, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. That needs to be a literal thing that happens, right? And and we should observe some of these families do that. Um, these kids run around. And there's such a trust within the neighborhood they live in because it's a lot of Afghans. And it, it's, it's like living in the 80s again or 90s mm-hmm. where you can still run the streets and not worry about your kid being taken. And sometimes you're like, okay, you need to watch. Them. You're, you're, you're in downtown Houston. Like, please. But they know that at any point in time, somebody's watching them. Um, and and it's, it's the village taking care of the village, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's trust that is, they have that's incredible. Um, yeah, amazing women, amazing Afghan women, um, and men, a lot of good men who who want to work. Um, so let's move over to Fort Worth, right? So Lowell and his family. So Lowell has three amazing daughters and a son. Um, and his wife is in, is an incredible cook. Is so good. I've been in his house. Um, so so I drove from Houston, picked up the van that was donated, and was like, "Well, Haroon doesn't need it. I'm gonna drive it up." to low did not tell him because i still like i'm like a hopeless romantic <laughs> yeah i'm a hopeless romantic that still likes surprising people right so i'm like i'm gonna just show up with the van the vi- it was so you sent good. me a video of yeah, all the kids the bouncing around in there and bouncing he was just around. like kind of yeah. shocked like what he's like i own this now i'm like yeah you do man um so but yeah so then again the tribe and particularly for him, um, his tribe was a lot closer than what Haroon had, even down in Houston. So they, I mean, they're talking about like bringing money together to build or to buy a house. And I'm like, wow. with cash, I'm like, this is incredible. Like this is, um, but that's the mentality they have. And, and talk about some of the men having some vision. What they want to do is build smaller pockets of Afghan communities as well, right? And not saying they don't want to integrate. They 100% want to integrate and like become Americans. But on top of that, they know that you want the family to live in proximity. So what they want to do is they want to buy like a bunch of land or just buy a bunch of properties that are close together. So like now you can build, you know, a society around that. And, and now it gives your kids an environment to be successful. Um, and, and same thing with Lowell, Hmm. you know, having, having difficulties getting the kids registered. Oh, actually let's rewind back to Haroon and school and the kids. There's so many amazing stories. So I get to Houston, the kids aren't in school and I'm like, this is, sorry, I'm like, this is BS. Like we are going to go and I'm going to throw my rank. I'm going to throw whatever I can at the school and we're going to get them in. So we get to the school and the school's like, we're full, go to the next school. So we go to the next school, right? So we're driving across the town. And then we get there. It's like, hey, you're not in our district. I'm like, what do you mean? Right. What? Like, the other school said they're full, and they told me just to come here. And you're telling us we're not in your district. Like, I don't know what's going on. So go back to the other school. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, we're not leaving until these kids are registered. 
and this this you know gentleman comes out and he sees that i'm like trying to convince you know the counselor to let them in and he's like everything okay and i'm like yes sir so you know this is my interpreter you know i told him the whole story he saved my life like i'm here to help like like these kids have not been in school for a month and a half we got to get them in school he's like all right let me go make a call and i had no idea who this guy was and I could see the counselor was like, oh, gosh, like, here's nothing. So the guy comes back. is like, hey, the kids are going to start school on Monday. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> the guy was the principal. And he called oh, the superintendent. Wow. And he called the superintendent directly. And he's like, yep, um, you know, we just passed it. They're going to pull an emergency board meeting. And they're going to increase numbers of schools because there's these – we didn't realize – there's so many kids out in town that weren't going to school yet. And they've been here for so long. So all of that happened. Um, and I was so thankful. And I'm wow. like, man, just, just because Haroon needed his kids in schools, we gave the opportunity to possibly more kids to go to school. So right. got those kids in school. Haroon's happy. Good job, David. He's, he's working. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> just a miracle with that. Um, so see you later, Haroon. I'll be back later. Um, and we went up to Fort Worth doing it and then saw Lowell. And I kind of find out Lowell's become this like tribe chief because he is so good. He is so good. And he's the one setting out the thank you videos. And he's the one like so thoughtful. Mm. Um, at one point when they were escaping, he's going coming from Qatar to yeah, I don't know. I, I know I'm killing the timeline. I don't know if we have a, a no, it's a, fine. Keep keep going. Yeah. But uh so even from the flight from Qatar to America, the flight attendant saw that um, the kids were sitting by themselves. And, you know, this amazing lady, uh, Sabrina was her name, um, comes up to law and is like, hey, these are kids. And he's like several rows down. He's got, he's got his four-year-old over here, his seven-year-old over here, his 10-year-old, and on this plane. Um, and, and she's like, all right, let me see what I could do. So she... She's able to move some seats and then bring all the family together so they can at least sit in one mm. role. Um, and then he's being a thoughtful guy himself. He writes her a personal letter. Like he's got napkins, like he's asked for napkins oh. and pens. And like he writes oh. his personal letter and like later on and like she gives him his contact. And I'm like, and when he gets here, he tells me the story. I'm like, you need to give me her contact. So I reach out. I'm like, you're a saint. And I told, and, and, you know, I was trying to give her some fulfillment and told her, her his story of how he's done so much for others. And, you know, hopefully that, that just, you know, all these good news stories, you know, these, these heartfelt stories of good people helping each other. Um, but Lowell, never losing that, comes to Fort Worth and becomes this guy everybody respects. Um, because in Afghanistan, the tribe knew him. And he was the guy that was that was always getting people jobs with Americans, right? He was, he was mm -hmm. like, Hey, this is my, uh, you know, this is a good person. They need to come work for us. And he would help everybody else. So coming here naturally, he didn't want it. Like he did, he did, he just wants to live like this humble life. Yeah. But I think natural leaders get put in certain roles. Like Ryan, mm -hmm. Ryan could hunt for the rest of his life by himself. Yeah. <laughs> on he's, a mountaintop he'd be happy with that but, but i think the community but he's changed as he's, he's cha gotten older yeah he is but i think the community did it to him right we're like yeah. you you need to teach us things yeah. you need to be our you need to be our person and i know ryan probably struggled with that right like he's just like you want yeah. me to speak to 
like all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's been interesting <laughs> to watch his process over the last yeah. five years, going from literally having like less than three friends and maybe yeah. hunting with one person and just working a job that he worked and doing what he loved being in his garden and hunting to you know creating this platform and then the event business and now he spends like you know every waking moment i mean we're so we're we're finishing up solidifying our hunt and summits and yeah. all the giveaways and we're now working on scholarships and so it's like oh. it, it's so rewarding like we just can't wait <laughs> for june and everybody comes together and we like to give people stuff and we get to like be you know with like when you were here last year it's just yeah. it's so rewarding oh. and um you know you got to make money to make these things happen yeah. it's energy but it's energy. we've just um you know, we feel really blessed. And so kind of our whole thing has always been like, okay, whatever we get, we give back and we, we bless people that can't afford to come that need to learn these skills. And I feel like right now is if you're going to spend your money on anything, like right now, learning how to get a little more self-sufficient is probably a really good idea when we see all these yeah. things that are transpiring in the world, you know, yeah. and that's where I always think too about these communities that, you know, is like maybe they're more resourceful at like living oh, yeah. under hardship than like the average American is or or like I'd say average American who lives like in suburbia. Yeah. But then when you talk about having non for profits of, you know, inner city kids that are used to living under adversity all the time and having to yeah. navigate stressful situations all the time and like picking the positive road instead of picking the negative road and perpetuating that into your generations you know yeah. like i do think that there's um there's a need to help people there, there's really resilient people that have been through a lot of stuff that they have yeah. a lot to share that that we could really learn from them oh yeah um and that's kind of how i see these guys it's like i do think about like you know if the economy crashes and gas goes up to 10 bucks a gallon <laughs> like like yeah. how do these people survive like i don't know how i'm gonna put gas in my tank and i yeah. got in income yeah you know and how are these communities gonna do it so resourcefulness is so yeah. important but yeah oh they'll figure it out i mean it's i mean they came from dirt i mean literally mud house so this is just incredible for them. And, you know, I'm excited to see that. And, yeah, we could learn from them. And, you know, plug on Western Hunt Summit. If you want to learn how to survive and, <laughs> and live a healthy life off the land and off every the other, you know, subsidy and dependency we have, you know, go to the Western Hunt Summit. Um, Thank you, David. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to ask about the kids because yeah. I yes. feel like whenever you send me pictures of the kids <laughs> and just – like, how are they adjusting? I th I think we've had a discussion about, like, what it must be like to be living in Afghanistan and then a month or two later be in America. Even if you're in these refugee camps, like, yeah. the amount of abundance that we have compared to yeah. what they were having. Like you said, going to Walmart and shopping and, like, going oh. to the grocery store and there's, like, food everywhere. And, like, what? how are the children adapting to this? Yeah. What seems like massive abundance and... um. I tell you what, the most resilient people on the planet are children. Yeah. I, it's just, even on the refugee camp, the kids were laughing and playing on the playground. And I mean, it was just, there was not a care in the world. They knew something bad happened. They knew like, we have to go. 
but even just the way that these parents raise their children, um, especially, you know, children, there's going to be a whole eclectic group, but the ones, the families that we helped out, these kids were raised with such good values. Um, they weren't spoiled. I mean, they were just, they were just appreciated everything they had. So every little thing they had was just, you know, it's just something more to, for them to appreciate and thank. So I, I haven't seen any sadness, any depression, any, anything that you would think these children would have, because I think the parents did such a good job with building resiliency. Uh, and, you know, maybe we could reflect on our own society. Um, Cause I do know mental health, COVID and like social distancing, we're saying that that affected, um, that is going to affect our youth. Uh, and, and I think it is a big concern um, if we didn't ingrain that resiliency in our children, if we didn't, um, you know, aren't exposing them to certain, like to, to their family members or friends. Um, but these kids were so strong. I mean, I, I have, every time I'm there, they're just laughing and, and enjoying life and jumping on me. And, um, and I say that I want to put a, so a little plug there. It's kind of funny. So kids are going to be kids and fa different families are different families. I did meet a few spoiled Afghan children, which I was like, Oh boy, but really? they just, yeah, they, it was, it was kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> they grew up, they grew up with things, right. They grew yeah. up with things um, in Afghanistan, but that just shows you parenting, parenting can go a long way. Mm -hmm. But um, so these kids still, you know, grew up in the knee, but they actually had, they were a little bit spoiled in Afghanistan and coming here what exacerbated the issue was all the gifts. So oh. one family who grew up very resourceful, resourceful and like just appreciated everything they had, a lot of humility, they cherished every little bit of gift they had. This other family I saw, like the kids were just like, oh, where's the next thing? And they'll play and I'm like, where's the next thing? And I'm just like, oh, that's, it's like a whole internal social studies. Um, right. It's like you know. an American Christmas. Where's my next one? Where's my next one? Where's my next one? And you're like, yeah. excuse me. <laughs> I don't know. So, so it's funny seeing that as well. And like, it just shows you how important parenting is and being around the right village and tribe to raise those kids with those right values. Um, but don't worry, the, our three families, so appreciative, so thankful, so humble. Um, one of my good friends in Dallas, actually, or, or yeah, she lives close to Fort Worth. Um, she has a daughter of her own. Uh, her name's Chrissy, but uh, she's like, hey, and she actually helped out with, with all the evacuations as well. And uh, she's like, I want to take the kids to one of those trampoline parks. I'm like, really? I got to send you these photos. But <laughs> these kids were like, what is happening? And it's like a full on <laughs> trampoline park. And yeah. you know, I'm still thankful that, uh, uh, you know, Chrissy had the idea to do that, but it just gave him like this thing where they talked about for weeks and it was like, you know, a, a $10, $15 trampoline park day. Right. Mm. Um, we, we, we got Lowell's wife jumping around. It was so there's like, they never were able to be, the, the adults were never, ever able to be kids because they had such weight on them and to see that weight lifted and see their kids safe and enjoying life. That was a cool experience we had. So the kids are well. They're learning English made so fast. Um, yeah. And actually the for the- benefit of a young brain. <laughs> it is, I know. Uh, for the younger ones, I'm actually concerned. I hope they don't lose the language. I don't think they will. But um, I know like even me ra being raised speaking fluent Vietnamese, um, when I don't get to practice it, uh, I, I start losing some of it. Yeah. So um you know, it might not happen for this generation, but I think eventually some of the some of their grandkids may may lose the language and the culture. Um, but they're good.
Wow, so, that's so awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And um, thank you to everybody out there who donated. And uh, yeah, you, if you still want to donate and you haven't, yeah. you can go to your Give Butter account. That'll be in the show notes here. Perfect. You thank you. Go, that fund's still open, right? Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely. So, and uh, yeah. yeah. And that's the one last and, thing you want to dr- – yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was going to just transition to the kind of the media stuff and what people should listen to, but I don't know if you – Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, let's talk um, about that. Um, the – you know, it's hard to say what's truth and what's not truth. Um, the one thing I will say about what's happening in Ukraine is it is a war. The extent of the war, um, the media is going to have a full spectrum of – but the and, and the pol- political views of – but the one thing I'm going to say is – I've been in that type of situation of combat. And the thing that people should focus on is the needless loss of life and, right. and the humanity of it. So whatever you watch, you know, whatever the you know political view, the flavor of the day is of Putin this or we're funding that or whatever it is, all of that's gonna happen and our politicians and our elected officials are gonna work that out the way they work it out because they're already in office right the things that you should be focused on is is the actual humanity the loss of life you know some of the videos of the moms this is video of this mom having to walk i think 50 miles with her children and she just had these two bags right um, that's that's the true cost of war and those are the those are the things we need to hone in on and and help the organizations that are helping those. So do your research, find those organizations who are actually providing aid relief for refugees, USAID or, or whatever governmental or nonprofit organizations. And to be honest, like Angelina Jolie is a huge advocate for this humanity stuff and she's a great person to follow and 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 see what organizations are helping. Um, okay. You know, let, let the politicians handle the policy. Um, one thing that we say, and again, good job or bad job, they're the ones making the decisions now. Um, and if you disagree with it, then we can sign petitions and protests, but there's a certain way to do it. And the one thing we always say about the military is, you know, we're not just out there waging wars, right? The military is the arm of the government that, you know, is actually the, the extension of policy. So when policy doesn't work, when two people can't talk it over at a table, that's when military force comes in. Um, so the first thing we need to do is handle this on the policy side um, and whatever we need to do to be able to stop the fighting. Um, and I don't know. If, and I, I, yeah, that I don't have an answer to. Um, and then tactically, we could talk about javelins and stinger missiles and, and everything else that could win the war. But that's again, that's a military conversation. The way we're going to solve this is policy. What we can do as the normal American yeah. is to donate towards those organizations that will help the hurting people um, and the people who are being devastated because of this combat caused by um, whatever reasons. So, yeah, yeah. So, can I ask that? What What is the main reason? Is it a border issue? Is it a resource <laughs> issue? Like, is it just Putin yeah. flexing his muscles? Like, what? Uh, yeah. Asking Dave Fam. So, Dave Fam is a civilian version of this. Yeah. Um, like, I, I I think there is a hubris, and I think there's a hubris. I mean, it's it's a prideful man working with prideful oligarchs, and 
organizations and people who of power um, and influence. And I think there's a part of them that want to create this Russia again, right? This USSR back in the day where like, yeah, it's expanding territories. Um, but, you know, and then people are also going to argue, well, like, well, there's sanctions that we put on the Russia and we're intruding on his land and stuff. And it's, it's funny. It's like left or right. But even both sides of the aisle can't even agree with each other right now, even within the right community or left community, because we just don't trust the government anymore. Right? That's what people are saying. Um, right. So in my you know, humble opinion, I think the way it started was Putin had a vision for how he wanted his country. Um, the West disagreed with that. And that's where the contention started. Uh, because the Ukrainian people, the thing we do know is the Ukrainian people want to stay Ukrainian. Um, right. And the thing, we, and the other thing I know is Putin should have just continued his policy, uh, continue to talk policy with the West, right? Have the open mind, the open heart to try to figure it out without having to invade another country. Um, and in his eyes, though, Ukraine is Russia. So that's difficult to argue. Right. right? Like, I've been to Russia, you know, and yeah. I've worked there and I've, um, the dean of my school when I was in medical school who organized the doctor's trip that we went and worked in a hospital in the Black Sea and, yeah. um, he was from Ukraine. So him and his wife were from Ukraine, but he organized the trip to Russia. And what we learned when we were in Russia was that, um, there's millions. So speaking of refugees or immigrants, let's say illegal immigrants, immigration, yeah. let's say yeah. that um, illegal immigrants in Moscow, I think 2 million illegal immigrants, they call them illegal immigrants. And these are people coming from the former Soviet Union Republic. So coming yeah. from Ukraine, coming from the Kazakhstan's coming from Belarus, yeah. coming from all these places, because there's no work. There was at this time, this was 2005 when I went there. So it was a long time ago, but um they were still really reeling from this 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 post-communist capitalistic society where most of the industry was in the large cities like Moscow, St. Petersburg and stuff. And so they had millions of people in each of these large metropolitan areas that were from, that were illegally there working yeah. from these former publics. And um, which seems sort of confusing because they yeah. used to be Russian, right? Like, yeah. or it used to at least be a Russian territory. And that was a huge issue, was all these illegals trying to find work. And Ukraine was a very economically depressed country. Like, it was a very depressing, had no industry um, at that yeah. time. And so people were kind of fleeing to Moscow and all these other places to work, to get work. And um, that was kind of my memory of the whole thing of Ukraine was like, Russia really kind of controlled the whole economic sphere there. Oh yeah. And um it was sort of it was strange to see too cuz I I remember seeing like generational cuz Russia's had so many wars. They've had so many conflicts yeah. since World War 2, World War 1. And they just have generations of men that are just gone. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, because yeah. since World War 2 and then the Stalin regime and then you have like Afghanistan and you have even just recently Chechnya and all yeah, these yeah. wars that they've had it's like the men just generations of men gone so you saw a lot of old women I yeah. remember being you know 
even in um, Anafa, which was southern Russia, where we worked, it just felt like there was a lot of women, a lot of yeah. old women, um, and younger men were... I don't know. There just doesn't seem like there was a lot of men. And then there was this yeah. rumor, like in, in, in Moscow, it was 10 women to every man. Yeah. So it was very common for men to have a wife, a girlfriend, maybe yeah. a couple girlfriends. Like there were so many women um, compared to men. Yeah. And just, and so you had all these former republics where they were having this illegal immigration into the countries so yeah. that they could get jobs. Oh, yeah. And that's what I think about like this, this, this war and this border issue is that yeah. a lot of Ukrainians are in working in Russia because they can't make a living in Ukraine. Right. Yeah. And maybe Ukraine is a much more Westernized country now in the yeah. last, you know, 15, 17 years. Yeah, but, definitely has. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, you, you can see a d difficulty there in like being a sovereign nation and trying to have, westward ideas when you've been part of yeah. russia which <clears throat> has really struggled to take on the western um yep. mentality ideals yeah ideas. absolutely yeah. so and uh no as and that's absolutely true and i think yeah so in the last 15 years ukraine's economy has started booming and mm. and they've definitely become more westernized and to be honest like they haven't been part of the EU or NATO because it was a safety boundary for the, the West, right? They're like, well, we'll just put this neutral country in the middle. Um, and and now the West is actually physically separated by um, Russia. And when I say Russia, like Putin is driving a lot of this. The Russian people, there's an amazing Russian people who are innocent and just like, oh, yeah. Being again, war yeah, is mainly, yeah, people yeah. don't usually ever agree. They're like, yeah. what? Yeah. But problem in Russia, and yeah. it was like that when I was there. Yeah. People just so, disappear when they talk out against the government. Like, it yeah. was, there was a lot of things not acceptable, and it still mm -hmm. looks like that's the case now. It's, yeah, even with the protests, I mean, 4,000 people being arrested, like, that can't happen in the U.S. Like, that would be insane. That's, But, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of suppression. And, um, and again, in the Russia, and what I feel bad about, too, is the Russia, all the sanctions that we're doing, is that it's the people hurting or the Russian people? And, and to be honest, I think those sanctions yeah. – what the policymakers are really just hoping for is there's going to be a revolt, right? So imagine, so I think most recently, um, I think MasterCard and Visa just sanctioned them, right? And so imagine you can't buy anything outside of the country. You can't Amazon. You can't Amazon anything because your Visa and MasterCard don't work. So some people in America would flip. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, all our friends get those oh, Amazon. Oh, there would be a revolt here for sure. There would be a revolt. Like, hey, we're shutting off Amazon. Because that's essentially what it did. Like, none of your credit cards yeah. work outside of the country. So stuff like that is really suffering. Like, the food, the oil, um, a lot of – so I think that's essentially what they're trying to do is, like, hey, get it to a point where the Russian people are so tired of it that they're going to do something about it. Um, because I don't think Putin's going to back down. I don't care. Uh, he's not going to allow any sanctions to stop him. Um, well, I think but, he made a statement or something I heard this week that it was like, he's got all the oil he needs and he's got yeah. all the food supply he needs and he doesn't yeah. really need the Western world to help out, which yeah. is fine. But when you get communities dependent on things like Amazon and Apple and iPhones yeah. and yeah. and um, and the modern world, like yeah. cutting that off from an entire culture of people, especially young people, who that's all they've 
known. That's all they've grown up with. Yeah. And you take all that away and say, this is for your own good so that we can show the West that we're stronger. Yeah. I just don't know if that's going to fly for very long yeah. with the people, you know, it's, that wouldn't fly here. It would be uh, mass. It would be mass chaos. Here. You know, the yeah. difference we have here is we have second amendment, which, uh, yeah. They don't have over there, so it's yeah. you know they can be controlled more with force if they need to be. Oh yeah, and, and you know it'll turn into North Korea, right? Like North Korea, every food is subsidized and monitored. Um, resources are subsidized, and monitored, and that's what he's saying. It's like, oh, I have food, it's like so the government's issuing food now. Like that's that's essentially what he's saying, right? So. Um, yeah, you know, even I'm, under Stalin, you know, he's going to yeah. have people growing food for him and he's yeah. going to be dictating who gets the food. Yeah. And, you know, and that's going to... Yeah. To your point, I mean, you mentioned this one of the first times we met. It was like, how do people get, get controlled, right? People are controlled by the food source. They're completely um, controlled by the food source. Yeah, so, you know... We, I mean, we've, we've seen that in our own country here. It's like... Exactly. Uh, there was like freedom convoys in Canada protesting. We have one in the United States going on right now. All it takes literally for a revolt is for every single trucker to stop driving a truck. Yeah. And this country would crumble. Yeah. There's, there, and this is where I think when we get, when we get wrapped up in the unfortunate thing about what Russians are going to have to deal with now, like, Russian people working every day to feed their families, to put a roof over their head who yeah. don't want war. Um, <clears throat> they're getting the harsh reality now of what it takes to do that without all this luxurious, like simplicity that we have in the Western world. Yeah. Like you just order your food and it shows up on your doorstep. And yeah. how does all that get there? How does your mail get to you? How does <laughs> your Amazon get to you? How does your gas get to the gas station? People think gas just like comes out of the ground and comes into your <clears> thing. <throat> Trucker has to go and put that gas into yeah. the, the pumps and yeah. all it would take. And unfortunately, you know, is for that to just stop. And yeah. so pretty much what we're seeing in Russia probably I'm guessing is because they're having to now depend on their own total in, internal infrastructure yeah. is they're going to see a massive decline in all of goods and services and food for the time being, because only so many, you know, they, they, they've lost all their external like flights coming support. in, food coming yeah. in, all that support. Yeah. And, I mean, in the United States, people are so naive sometimes to think that that, it, that can't happen. this would never yeah. happen. And all yeah. it takes is like <laughs> literally the people to say, you know what? I'm not going to drive a truck anymore yeah. until you, the government gets this figured out. And like people would be absolutely demanding that the government give the truckers what they want because yeah. they're not getting the services. And so I yeah. do feel horrible for the Russian people that they're having to yeah. kind of just immediately just go right into this like, boom. Yeah. Okay. And we are self-sufficient and run yeah. by a dictator. And I've always thought about that, especially with like North Korea. Yeah. Like how are we not, why, how is North Korea even exists? Like yeah. how can we talk like we are a civilized world in the Western world and we, yeah. there's countries like North Korea that exist and yeah. we just don't even talk about it. We just yeah. ignore it. And so Focus what are we ourselves. saying now? Yeah. Oh, Russia can turn into North Korea and it's totally yeah. fine. All those yeah. billions of people are just going to yeah. become slaves to their government. And we're okay with that because 
whatever. That's that's what gets my goat about this whole yeah. thing is there's so many billions of innocent people affected you know, under by the Chinese government and now Russia yeah. and, and North Korea and the horror stories you hear coming out of that in in, in this day and age. Yeah. Of it's abundance difficult. and surplus and it's like how is this even happening? Yeah. And it just um still blows my mind, you know. Yeah, I think there's you're at yeah. this place. Yeah, and in this point in time, you know, and, and maybe we're not advanced as advanced or as sophisticated as we think as, as a human population, right? Like there's there's so much good that needs to be done and there's such evil and power hungry people out there um that that deprive good people of that. You know, we talk about, you know, the, the Mavlaws hierarchy of needs, right? They're, they're going to go from the top of the pyramid yeah. to maybe the last two pyramids, like survival and security real fast. And um, I don't think people realize that in war, that's what happens. You lose infrastructure so quickly and you lose support and you lose everything else. Um, so being self-sufficient is, is critical. Um, you know, I think the few of us who who know how to harvest our own food and garden and everything else, um, we'll be okay. Uh, my concern is for our brothers and sisters that live in the city um, who don't it's know any a, better. It's a nightmare to think about what would happen. You know, we just, even COVID yeah. made us realize, you know, Ryan and I were barely affected by COVID where we live. Like we had no mass yeah. mandates. We can walk for 10 miles. We have yeah. two chest freezers full of meat. Yeah. Unless our electricity gets turned off. I mean, even if our electricity gets turned off, we have a wood burning, we have a fireplace yeah. in our house. Dehydrators, you make some, yeah. Yeah, like we can, we can get a generator, plug it in. We have gasoline. I, where did COVID hit the hardest in these urban areas where people are stacked on top of each other? Like where you live, like high prices <laughs> in DC. I know, like, yeah. Those are the people that are really suffering, and that's where the majority of our population is, in, even yeah. in the United States and around the world. So we've seen just how shutting down the world from COVID and the actual infection rates of COVID and what they can do in mass population areas. And so now you even getting, like you said, that infrastructure going down and then, you know, resources not getting to these people. It's a yeah. pretty scary place to be. And yeah. I would hope that, and not everybody can, you know, not everybody can learn how to hunt and come yeah. do what we do. And, and we completely understand that. But I think it's in any situation important to tell, to, to teach people resiliency and also, yes. but it's hard to teach that when you haven't been through it. Like, I think yeah. you have a unique perspective because when you're, child of a refugee so you have a story of resilience and then yeah. you are a military so you've been in war and yeah. you've been to places where you've seen this yeah. where most americans haven't anymore nobody remembers war unless they've been there and even those wars are sort of like well they're the wars over in another country like we don't even know yeah. what that is yeah and so most young people today like yeah. what happens if there's no instagram and youtube and like internet yeah. what if there's no internet yeah. the world goes black yeah yeah you like can't you drive down the street talking right now yeah. i know no, we wouldn't be able to talk you know yeah. so i just have those thoughts to myself and i i, I yeah. wonder like what this generation would do to step up and of course yeah. you know you see war happening and you see like Ukraine, like basically all men between the ages of 18 and 60 are like, like legally yeah. not allowed to leave the country yeah. because they have to have people fighting. And yeah. um, 
it just breaks your heart in a lot of ways. And again, you can't save everybody, right? I remember in Russia, we went to a, an orphanage in oh Moscow. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> want to talk about heartbreak. And yeah. you think you're going to go in there and it's, it's just, it, I mean, literally, we all sat on the bus afterwards for like two <laughs> hours and did not talk to each other. Because what yeah. do you say? Yeah. Like, besides cry and wish that you could take yeah. every, every single <laughs> You want, they're like, yeah. pick one kid. It's yeah. like, what? Yeah. One yeah. kid? I want yeah. all the kids. It's like yeah. that when we did our first year of Western Hunting Summit, we put a scholarship out and we had two spots and we got like 60 videos of people, oh. of why they wanted to come. I mean, and I was like, heartbreaking. Two people. <laughs> I, know. I yeah. want them all to come. You know, everybody yeah. has amazing stories. So that's the heartbreaking thing. And there's people that are suffering and always will yeah. be. And um, I think what you've done, whatever small thing it is, like, you know, the butterfly flaps, it swings. <sighs> it affects so many other people. So you doing the podcast and, and you, you knowing these men and having been to war and having been there and then having the resilience to realize you need to help them. And then us just talking about it. And then it's kind of just like, it spreads out from there. And so these families yeah. sound like they are working and making their way in America, yes. which was the whole point of us talking and making, you know, I, I, I haven't heard a whole lot about them. So I wanted to learn like, how are yeah. they doing? And, yeah. um, but I think it would be fun at some point to have some sort of reunion where we could have people come and meet them. And yes. um, I have a lot of family down in Texas. My, my last grandparent just died. Oh. um new year new year's eve and so oh sorry um, hillary as far as like but they're all texans my parents are texans and so oh, i spent yeah. a lot of time in fort worth and in dallas but i've thought about that and getting to meet and see and just um you know because it's it's important it's important yeah. to help people so yeah. tell me about this new organization you're going to help inner city children like you said you're going to be helping them too yeah. So Family Fund Incorporated, it's it's still getting on its feet, right? Like I'm still waiting for, mm-hmm. you know, all the paperwork to clear yeah. up. But um, eventually the, the goal is uh, mentorship and um, uplift. Um, and then we, we talk about the financing being part of it. So scholarship being part of it as well. But, um, you know, and you know me, I'm, I'm very based in my faith. So a lot of it would be mentoring and teaching and just teaching young boys and girls and young men and women. Um, the resiliency and the resourcefulness um, that you may not get in the inner city. Because, you know, to your point, we're living in a society where we have abundance, but the parents could still expose the kids to this. Like, it's all about parenting. And you can't, you know, like, you might not be able to pay for a Western hunting summit or get out there, but you, you could drive an hour out of the city and find a, you know, an outfitter that, you know, teaches you how to do it. Or you could go to a gardening class. But there's essential human skills that, parents could teach their children um and if the two things that come out of it is good value or the three things is good values resiliency and resourcefulness um i think society would be able to stand um in any crisis um in any emergency so and so my so the the organization if once it gets on its feet it, it will be here to help parents parent because i think a lot of people complain well you know they had bad parenting like you know, they're just letting their kids run wild. It's like, well, what did you do to help them? Because they probably, the parents probably didn't have good parents either. And it's a generational thing. And um, I want people who help 
my organization be able to step out and help parents who don't know what they're doing? Mm-hmm. How many times have you said that? Like, I don't know what I'm doing as a mom or dad. Then, like every day. Yeah, bring the tribe <laughs> together. I know. Every, you're like, yeah. I don't know. But bring the tribe together. Bring the village together. Everybody's going to have their part. And if we can raise our youth, we will change America. And, and that's it. That's the ultimate goal. So, yeah, maybe it's just not inner city focused, but it's going to be low income and folks who need help um, to raise their kids. And we're going to change. Well, I think it's important to remember, too, the reason that this country was founded. And unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of unfortunate things that happened on this landmass to a lot of people yes, yeah. by forward expansion. And yeah. we always, you know, realize that we understand that. But we also know that the promise of this country and the democracy that's really unlike anything in the world is that this is a melting pot and that everybody that's here with the exception of the Native Americans came from someplace else. And so I think it's really important to just remember not that far back your ancestors were coming here on a boat, begging to be let in, trying to start a new life creating everything that you have now so that you're you can be educated and you can like whatever you know where even if you're like in the inner city right like somebody somebody was either brought here willingly or brought here against their will but as the generations have gone about you know we're all immigrants and you know we need to that's the hardest thing i think with the immigration issue is that People are seeking, people, human nature is to seek better things and yeah. to be better. And America has been that beacon. And I would hate to see America lose that mm-hmm. reputation based on the selfishness of, yeah. of um, being of fear, you know, fearful of what we don't know, fear of, of change. I think a lot of people are very afraid of change. Yes, and yeah. they like this is why like this thing with Russia I think is quite scary to a lot of people because you start to see or even the COVID experience for yeah. the last two years doesn't really take a whole lot for things to drastically change and what that looks like um, yeah. for the future generations and so I think a lot of people are really fighting and they're afraid of change and they've been fed this constant diet of fear And so what I would tell people is just like, remember that, you know, your ancestors did something that got you here, that got you to this place that you are. And I think it's important to give back and try not to, try not to eat too much out of that fear bucket because it just isn't serving you um, as far as helping yourself and helping others. So and just give gratitude. I think that's the most important thing wherever you are. Like if you're in a human body and like you can get up in the morning and you can like walk around and breathe air and, um, you know, uh, you just like the gratitude for that, right? Like it's, yeah. it's an amazing gift that you have um, no matter what stage of life you're in or Perfect. where you live. And um, yeah, so. Okay, well, I am so happy that we got to talk today. Thank and you. And yeah. again, if anybody wants to donate, the it'll be in the show notes. And then hopefully you'll be sharing more information with us about the family fund. So family is PH because Dave yep. is 
David uh, Sam, P-H-A-M. Yeah. And it's yeah. so appropriate. It's like, it wow, is. what a perfect name. Like, I know. I, I was very blessed. <laughs> very lucky. And we're sad we're not going to see you this year. I know you've got a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But however I can help, please let me know because, you know, I like to do this kind of stuff. So. And then, yeah, last thing for me is just just grateful and full of gratitude and, you know, just becoming a part of your family. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's been incredible. Like it just shows you how good people could change the world. So, you know, be good. Take care of your brothers and sisters. We'll make a difference. Ditto. Ditto. Okay.